some art on the block game, the place for creatives to come and hang in the crypto space. <laughs> this is Ruth Cantlow's first deal. This is Sam Hart. This is, <laughs> this is Max Lavelle, and you're listening to Art on the Block Game. This is Jimmy Song, you're listening to Art on the Block <laughs> This is Jason Bailey from ArtGnome.com. Yo, this is Joe Looney, tuned in to the Crypto Creative Podcast. Art on the Block Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Angel from Art Project Decentralized. Hey, this is Christian Moss from Mandalorian. <laughs> this is Queer Artist with Neon District. What's up, everyone? This is Cryptography, and you're listening to Art on the Blockchain. This is Fair. This is Judy. No, this is Drop Blister. This is Jack Holgrave from Codex Protocol. What the, what's going on? This is Naturel. Yep, yep, yep. Yo, this is Rare Kev from Rare Art Lab. And this is Sasha Hodler. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Jonathan. This is John. This is John Crane. Uh, from, from Pixera. This is Joe Chappelle. This, this, this is Theo Goodman. You are now listening to Art on the Blockchain Podcast, crypto creative style, with your two hosts, Cynthia Gaten and Jay Skrilla. Get mean with it. All right. Happy New Year, Cynthia. Oh, Happy New Year. Can you believe air horn, it? Air horn, It's crazy. <laughs> 2019 is here. Our uh, third year of uh, Art on the Blockchain. Yep, today's January 7th. Yep. We're back in D.C. We are, we're on the outskirts in Alexandria right now. Yep. But, uh, Depth Charge Studios and uh, bringing you episode 27, Art on the Blockchain. Here we go. This is an uh, uh, episode with Nanu Burks. Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to that. We've been trying to get her on for quite a while, so... Pretty excited about talking to her. Yeah, she's a pretty prolific artist. We could talk to her, but uh, I heard you have some top five news you want to talk about. Yep, have a few things wanted to to mention. First of all, there there's certainly a lot of events this coming uh, first half of the year that I wanted to kind of start out with. Um, first of all, we're going to be both of us are going to be part of the Rare AF two. Gonna be on May 18th. Uh, it's gonna be part of the Blockchain Week, which is scheduled for May 10th to the 17th. Yeah. It's also there's a lot of going on that week. Consensus is uh, May 13th through the 15th of that week. Uh, Creative Week is probably overlapped in there somewhere, so it's gonna be pretty a lot going on in in May. Be in New York in May. Yep. That, that's the rare she said the rare AF she's being very Art PC Festival. that is the rare as fuck too <laughs> alright rare as fuck one was uh, about a year ago uh, yep. next week um, and that was thrown by Rare Art Labs and Joe Looney and a couple other people this is part two where James Waugh and uh, Fanny and some other people have taken over it's kind of like a decentralized governance model going on in this little group right that's what he's that's what James yeah, is trying James to do we'll see we'll see how successful so we'll see his model uh, bloom and uh, prosper to May 18th seems to be a lot going on but uh, we all are looking forward to that so yeah yeah, so that, that'll be a good time. Uh, February, we have the TAB conference in Atlanta. Jeff's going to be there. Yeah, be there. Oh, sorry. Skrilla's going to be there. Jeff will be there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
Then in uh, crypto and digital art fairs organized by New Art Academy is going to be uh, this spring. We don't have an exact date for that yet, so those are the three big events where, or at least time frames we're looking at and for the first half. Southwest. And South by Southwest is in March. March. That'll be a second week of March. I think me and Cynthia are doing something about that, but that's, uh, that's for a special announcement later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so those are the events that are going on. Just wanted to talk about a couple of articles that have come out recently. Uh, December 21st of last year, there was an article called Lightning Network Milestone. Micro-auction art piece sells for .0000037 cents, or I guess dollars, I don't know, by Georgi Georgiev, two-first-name guy. Uh, an art piece entitled Black Swan by Crypto Graffiti was auctioned to the lowest bidder for a Millie Satoshi. Using the least expensive art ever. Yep. Uh, Bitcoin li- using Bitcoin Lightning Network. Uh, Crypto Graffiti is quoted as posting, I'm excited about a future where micropayments are omnipresent. Art is paid by the view, writers by the poem, and musicians by the listen. So it's <laughs> yeah, it was pretty exciting. And yeah, uh, check that piece out. That uh, black swan piece is uh, yeah, it's incredible thought experiment, exercise, mm-hmm. art piece, all that stuff. That uh, the man crypto- cryptography, cryptography, it's a kind of very interesting. Uh, it's very small, yeah, and very intricate. So when you see how we put it together with tweezers. <laughs> It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, check that out if you haven't. That's that. That was definitely a good banger at the end of the year for crypto art. Yep. Uh, on January fourth, so just a couple of days ago, there's an article, Pixios about Pixios, pixel by pixel. Uh, this is a new project. Offers game where crypto players can create blockchain art. The article's by Connor Blankensop, and a quote from the article is: "It's offering a one million pixel canvas." Pixios Paint offers a profit-sharing system where players can paint pixels over one another and create a collaborative art piece. At the conclusion of every game, which I couldn't tell from the article when the game ends, and that's just my own side note, a blank canvas begins. It's scheduled to launch the first quarter of 2019. Uh, The canvas turns into a non-fungible token. Users can vote on their favorite canvas works will go to the highest bidder on their Pixios auction house. Um, I haven't seen any of this in, in operation, so it might be a, um, if anybody has tried it, please, please please get in touch and let us know how it, how it works and what you think about it. We're looking for this year to have a lot more interaction, so people can please uh, contact us about your your feelings about uh, what oh, you're doing. Oh yeah, give us those feels. <laughs> let it out. Uh, January 6th, just yesterday, there's an article... Uh, entitled, Will the Crypto Art Market Continue to Expand in 2019? Articles by David Robb. According to the article, at least one art retailer links art collection. It's owned by Frank McKeever. Said the bear market had little effect on sales, so that's kind of good to hear because everybody's been talking about the bear market generally. Um, and you know, there's something to be said when you have an art retailer commenting that it didn't have any effect because the art market you would think would be affected by the bear market that the market itself overall would have an influence but apparently not uh he sold over a thousand pieces of crypto art and i'm not sure what crypto art in this context means whether it's uh whether it represents some crypto value whether there's images of uh 
uh, Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever in the art itself, or if it's just called crypto art because crypto uh, cryptocurrency is accepted. But anyway, uh, the thousand pieces of crypto art represents seventy five percent of the company sales. It's also you know pretty pretty awesome. Hmm. So those are the top top five. The, the we've got the events, events, read articles, and articles. Yep. We um. Did you see the uh, the Bitcoin ten year anniversary song? I did see it, and I had uh, it, it showed up several times in my in my Twitter feed, and I hadn't I hadn't seen the connection, but uh, unfortunately, so yeah, so now I have yeah. I have seen it. I thought it was all right. I thought it was well produced the way they uh, did it. Well, they um, seem to have a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of the, uh, a lot of personalities and cryptocurrency involved in that. Um, some friends on the show are on there as well. I close my eyes and I can see The world that's waiting up for me That I call my own Through the dark, through the door Through where no one's been before But it feels like home They can say, they can say It all sounds crazy they can say, they can say, I lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design. Cause every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams that keep me away. Think of what the world could be A vision of the one I see A million dreams is all it's gonna take A million dreams for the world we're gonna make It's funny because Emoji Nakamoto hit me up trying to do a song also for the 10 year anniversary and his idea, no offense to the Bitcoin anniversary song, that, that turned out great, was even better. And I'm going to tell you why. But he, it wasn't produced or anything, obviously. Because once the song came out, it was, it was a wrap. But, uh, when did they record it? I don't know. They must have been doing it over time because there's a lot of different footage. Um, but, you know, the Rent song? Mm-hmm. And whatever number they say in the Rent song, 500, whatever. Right. That... I think that was like the block that the 10 year anniversary was, ah. so it would have been perfect. And wow. he wrote a song and sent me the lyrics. We're going to do it, try to do it quickly, but uh. That's something too that I've been thinking about for for the past several months. Is you know sitting on things, yeah, is probably sit. not you know what 
letting it gestate is probably a good idea. At least, you know, let it simmer in your mind. But sometimes, um, you know, go with your with your gut with regard to uh, uh, putting things out there. That's, you can't rest on your laurels. Yep. Exactly. Shit moves too fast. Fuck. So what else is going on? Um, let's see what else I got here. The music side is... Um, uh, the the Bitcoin Lightning jukebox. Um, I saw if you look at our Twitter page, AOCB Twitter page, I uh, that was tweeted out from there. And uh, I forget the guy's name. I think it was JD or something. But uh, he created this Lightning jukebox with Bitcoin. Uh, he run a QR code over it with a Bitcoin wallet and, uh, or your Lightning wallet, and it instantly plays for like you know, minuscule amounts. So that was cool. Um, and they use Raspberry Pi. They use Raspberry cool. Pi, and I think it's like something going on where it, it automates every block or something. Something happens. To it. There's more to it than that. Check it out. It's interesting. Um, and um, yeah, I guess like it's, you know, also we're looking for music ideas for that rare as fuck two <laughs> rare art festival two conference <laughs> May 18th. And um, yeah, so check. Yeah, let us know about that. What did you think about uh, 2018 uh, crypto art? You got any thoughts on like a broad um, impressions? Yeah, would, would anything come out of it? What do you think is happening? Uh, well, certainly with the with the fine art world, it it really took hold. I was very very surprised, but I have to say that I think the rare AF one had a big impact because. The, I think the auction, if nothing else, uh, not that there have never been auctions before or anything like that, but um, the uh, excitement and the unexpected um, enthusiasm of the audience definitely had an impact on what, <laughs> what they thought people thought about auctioning digital works because they, in terms of you know where these things exist, I think I think people were blown away who were not familiar with. Uh, that that world at all were blown away with the possibility. So I, if I had to say anything, that was definitely a starting point for a fine art mm-hmm. interest in auctioning digital works. Yeah, and that was that was that enthusiasm was brought to you by the rare Pepe Trading Establishment. <laughs> Again, another uh, thing that rare Pepe helped launch. So <laughs> it's there historically for all y'all to digest. And then the people who participated in that was that was another very interesting thing. Is that even though I I was familiar with a lot of their projects um it was a really a pulling together of of uh teams and projects that even though you might have heard about them to see the people involved was i thought was really interesting and i think that when because i i've been reading uh, art related publications for a really long time and i've uh, noticed for the past four years uh how much blockchain is now appearing in articles related to to fine art and the solutions that are being offered for provenance and all those kinds of things um, are part of a of a conversation that uh, hadn't existed before. So last year was definitely about having conversations about new technology, having conversations about how can you interact with a with a younger audience or maybe not as wealthy audience. How do you continue to engage? your uh, your base audience and I think that was definitely something going on last year um, I I like you was hoping that there'd be 
uh, some convergence of ideas with regard to the uh, with regard to music, and I'm hoping actually some new ideas will come into play next this year because um, I'm not sure there's enough ideas. I think there's a lot of potential solutions to problems in terms of distribution of money, but the ideas. Um, there should be more. The musician, I mean, musician music has been such a the the sugar in introducing new technology. I don't think it's really uh, being used to its full potential in this in this yeah. environment. Um, and I'm hoping for more collaborative uh, bringing in musicians on so many different elements of this. So that's what, what I hope to see. But last year was definitely fine art world. Auctioning digital works was by far the uh, thing that engaged people's imagination the most. Mm-hmm. At least in my opinion. Kept it exciting. Yeah. Money was a big aspect of crypto art last year. The dollar dollar bill, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I tend to have a theory too that um, that first crypto fest in uh, Jan- January 13th last year, I think it was. Was it on oh, January 13th? Was yep. it Friday also? No, it was just one day. Uh, it was a Saturday. Right. That would have been eerie. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think the excitement from that um, definitely launched uh, the whole scene. So, you know, big ups to that. Round of applause. And um, I definitely think that the music in crypto is the next uh, big thing, kind of how art took off. Hopefully it can happen this year, maybe next year. Um, but I see a lot of, uh, we talked about it on the radio show yesterday, y'all. Probably like 20 people heard that, but um, <laughs> I guess to <laughs> recap, basically the um, the micro, you know, the trans- instant transactions, instant payments, stuff like that. Um, you know, side side chains like Loom on ETH or something, or Lightning on Bitcoin or something. Um, I think it'll be good. Uh, right now we're doing tokens and music, you know, Tune music coins, stuff like that. Ujo accepts they do Ethereum. But you need some kind of instant payout. Kind of like how Tune's model is where it's instant. Um, once you listen, the song gets listened to. It instantly gets split up to who you um, put the smart contract into for like 20% here, 30% here. But if that can happen with like Bitcoin, Ethereum, something that's more liquid um, for the artist, I uh, think that would be a game changer for sure. Um, tokens are cool, but they're not, they're not, they're too illiquid, you know. Um, but it is what's going on now, and it's cool to experiment with. And I still uh, want to see a more liquid thing, I guess you could say, for payment-wise. Yeah, because it seems to start out with tokens just being something that you'd have as proof of being involved more so than uh, uh, looked at as a, something that you could could get rid of easily. This is the problem right now is that for most part, the music on these crypto sites are done not by musicians with big fan bases. So it's mostly like uh, crypto traders and some um, artists that, you know, are running the future shit, future tech and stuff, trying things early. Um, And some with, you know, a little bit of fan base, et cetera. Some people have done some things for sure. But, um, once the platforms where you, you need the tokens to access the music right now, it's just open to anybody, you know. 
then that's really going to dictate if it can fly or not because why would I want tokens for artists that I probably don't listen to for the most part you know they're not in my um, shuffle or anything like that so that's the hump I think people have to get over you have to have a platform also that's being used by artists that matter too I think one, one thing that might be interesting because I you know, talked to Skrill about this too is with regard to uh, stuff that's just now entered into the public domain so you know for for a lot of a lot of artists and musicians in particular you have to use samples from other people's work and all this kind of stuff but the 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 dump of not just uh, music but uh, books and uh, poems and all these kinds of things that are now available to the public I'd really like to see because you know in the fine arts world we have a there's a lot of art that's in the public domain that are the old masters, most of them are public domain. So I'd like to see um, an experiment with things that are in the public domain that are not going to cause musicians any problems. They're not going to have to worry about licensing. They're not going to have to worry about any of that and create something that sh- can demonstrate how this all works. Because I think licensing is a yeah. is a, an issue. It needs to be solved. But let's play with something that no nobody's going to have to worry about getting sued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's play with let people need to play with with things that are easily available and nobody's going to get in trouble for using uh, that experimentation I think would be really really cool to see so yeah. the licensing stuff with music is also yeah that, that's important that's that's a good thing for blockchain too um, it could be like the smart contracts if you could set it up we've talked about it several times but for musicians to you know charge a dollar for a use in your YouTube video or ten dollars for this or use such and such for um, you know, a, a commercial or a movie soundtrack you can have all the rights kind of written out but again it has to be perfect contract because once it's set in stone then that's it right there's no amendments or anything like that or right I mean I think there's there's actually some good ideas out there on how you can amend some of these uh, smart contracts because it, it 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 would be interesting and I have to talk to I don't know who to talk to about this, but how can you um, amend an existing block in the sense that not necessarily amend that actual thing, but recognize it as the uh, primary block and then subsequent blocks being related to that thing? How can you design a system that it recognizes we are the terms are being modified here and we can we can move on from there because I think. We have, we're still dealing with humans, and so until we have to, until yeah. humans are perfect and don't make mistakes, mm-hmm. and a lot of mistakes um, are not intentional. Most mistakes, I think, are, are not intentional. There are sure. some people who design things with the intent of harming, mm-hmm. but for the most part, we don't, and and not dismiss uh, human, um, you know, the ability for either for humans to change their minds together. Uh, I, th- I think it's it's to me it's not a good approach to say well too bad you didn't you got the date wrong and so we're not gonna yeah and then say oh we're well, gonna have to create a brand new thing well trying to get people to agree anybody who's actually yeah, and it costs money each time <laughs> trying to get so. people to agree again after they've it's like next to impossible to get people in the same room it's like a miracle mm. when a contract comes together <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll see what happens right, we got Nanu uh, standing by you wanna yeah let's go ahead wanna chat Uh, 
Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Good morning. Yeah, what's up? Awesome. Good morning. How's it going? It's doing okay. How are you? I'm doing great. I love Austin, man. I'm glad to be back. Oh, is that where you live? Where you spend most of your time? This is where my studio's at, yeah, but I'm moving in three months, so I'm really enjoying it now. Oh, wow. Where, so you're in Austin, Texas, and where are you moving to? I'm moving to Bali, probably, but otherwise somewhere in Asia. Wow. Oh, damn. How's it going over there? It's well, good. it's just boring Alexandria. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have them. So what? what why Bali? Um, I just want to move back to the jungle-ish area and, you know, living costs are half and the nature is really accessible. So I'm mostly wanting wanting to be back in the jungle beach area. Are you going to get a pet panther? <laughs> I hope so, man. I was I was with some pet goats last weekend. I, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> did, oh, my God. It, it did so much for my, for my serotonin intake. It was great. <laughs> What's the best thing for people that aren't familiar with goats? What's the best thing about being around a goat? So baby goats are as cuddly as cats and dogs, but they are less annoying, I guess, and <laughs> just more rare. So it's a oh, it's shit. a weird rare goats. <laughs> rare goats. Io, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's spinning up that ETH node right now. I can smell. It. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> well, they're so uh, so curious. Goats are. They they watch you in a in a different way. I don't think cats. For me, cats don't pay as much attention. But goats, like they watch you. They follow all of your movements. They they are they're a lot more attentive to me because I was like, wow, this is even more uh, in your face than dogs. This is, this is goat talk radio with it's, Cynthia. I love Gaten goats. And I think they're so awesome. I want to. I'd love to have goats eat all the poison ivy. <laughs> and eat all the stuff I don't like. <laughs> oh man! So, so um, goat, where you, goat farm is in Austin. <laughs> this is like two hours away from Austin in Lampasas, and I just went to do a tech detox. You know, when you're in this field, sometimes it's hard to get away a little bit, and it was it was nice to be able to do three days, four days without screens, Wi-Fi. Yeah, how's how's the clarity in your brain after that? Is it like fasting? Yeah, it was amazing. I came back, you know, I've been wanting to move for about six months, and I came back knowing for sure that I was moving back to nature. I, you know, I was nomadic for like 10 years, and I, I lived mostly in a combination of beaches and jungle, and it's so <laughs> different what it does for your system. It just puts your whole nervous system at a different vibration, and you're always more calm, mm. so things don't affect you as much. Yeah, that's what's up. So jungle meaning what? I, I lived in... Um, different parts of the Amazon jungle, sometimes little towns outside of the jungle entrances in Colombia and Peru. And I also trekked through the middle of the Amazon uh, from the Ecuadorian Podocarpus uh, mm-hmm. entrance. So it was, it was wild, I mean, just to be there in the middle of this thing where nature is... I mean, where nature is going to win, you know, regardless of what you try to do. do nature always wins. Is there any blockchain in the nature? Does, <laughs> is, is there anything in the jungle that's blockchain yet? Have they, have they caught on? I don't know. Probably. I was thinking of oh, the whole Amazon appropriation name and, and how they're getting onto the blockchain and stuff the other day. And yeah. uh, soon, though. It's coming soon. <laughs> it's all blockchain. <laughs> that's what's up. Um... 
Did you think much about the blockchain when you were on your uh, vacation for three or four days? I feel like it's all, yeah, it's always like ingrained in my mind, you know, because it's it's just such a part of when when you understand a little bit of the system or you're curious a little bit about the tech, then you can see how it applies to everything. And yeah, I try to fall somewhere in, in the middle between not being a super fanatic and saying let's tokenize everything and blockchain mm-hmm. everything because I don't think that's that's useful. Right. But uh, for sure, you can see. Yeah, I find myself, <laughs> I find myself being that annoying person sometimes, and I've learned <laughs> to keep my mouth shut. You know, when you you're like, oh wow, you should do this with yeah, this technology. Yeah. I keep People it to look myself. At you now. Crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so, right. ma- yeah. so maybe give a like- little little uh, background about yourself because we just you know we we've known about you. And so we just, just start conversation, but introduce yourself a little bit. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, it was awesome to meet you all in Miami because same, you know, yeah. I, I've heard so many podcast episodes and I've known about you all forever. And it was great to get a chance to meet um, at our Basel area in Miami. Um, not I, the jungle. <laughs> not the jungle. A different jungle, though, like yeah. a human jungle over there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm basically from Argentina, you know, I was born there and then I, I was nomadic for most of my life, so I took off and hitchhiked, backpacked through South and Central America. How old were you when you did that? I was, I think I left my house the first time when I was 13 or something, but then I was full-time pretty much backpacking when I was 17 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did college, like, I was really, really, uh, I guess, lucky to find a professor who let me do a lot of my college ab- while I was traveling and write papers and send them back and, and have them apply as credits. So I, I had kind of like a dual life where I was able to live the nomadic off the system life for most of my upbringing and then also have a traditional degree and do a little bit of like the U- U.S. university lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it was a cool hybrid. And yeah, I backpacked. Then I went to, you know, Europe and the Middle East and stuff like that and lived, lived off the grid and painted murals in exchange for housing and food and eventually I came back to the states and um, and started working remotely as a digital nomad. Is your family here? Do you have other family here in D- in the states? My mom and my brother are in the California area and okay. then my dad most of my family is in Argentina. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, so with um well, it's an interesting thing with regard to the 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 education. So is that something that's part of the education system in um, Argentina that you're able to do that sort of thing, or is it really, really super special for for you to be able to get credits? It, 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 it was, yeah, it was. It was like a really, really wild hybrid that happened just because of a professor here in the states. Was you know, I applied to the states um, to UMass Amherst here outside of Boston, and then wanted to be backpacking pretty much, and so. I took some credits in at the school and then some while I was traveling and it just all worked out somehow. But in Argentina, the education system is super badass, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's completely free for people, but it's one of those things where a lot of people from other countries will come, get a free education and then leave and no professionals stay in the country or less professionals stay in the country. So, man, the whole system in Argentina is super messed up and, and that's why... <laughs> That's why I got into into blockchain to were begin you, with. Were you in uh, around in Argentina when the um, whole uh, inflation happened on the currency? Yeah, so I was there during the crisis of oh two, oh eight, oh nine, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know continuing. But some of the some of the stages were pretty gnarly. I remember waking up and my mom 
saying basically trying to explain to my brother and I that she had lost all her life savings and that they were stolen by the banks and it was such a weird concept to me I I was nine ten years old and yeah the first time and then just hearing something like that like oh well what do you mean like you put your money in a bank and then overnight it was gone who took it you know and so um then i remember going out on the streets and protesting with my friends and hitting pots and pans like just like in the movies you know and throwing rocks at the windows of these banks and and people were crashing in to steal their computers and try to get data back and we were spray painting outside of the banks and just crazy you know angry at, at them so yeah so it was quite a quite a thing to live through oh yeah it's quite a sixth and seventh grade education yeah it's just <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, it's remarkable because I, I had studied uh, Venezuela and Argentina in particular, um, and it was they were considered in Brazil, of course, um, considered the, the forerunners of how things were going to change uh, with the economic systems in uh, South America. So it's, it's really it's kind of discouraging. It's an awful thing to you know to hear you, you, you're having to experience those things because there was so much hope. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, they did something already, uh, which I guess back then I didn't really understand as this important, but now I I see how it's similar to tokenization and and other types of currencies. They had ticket canastas and patacones, and so these were two separate invented monopoly money currencies that they decided to print one day because inflation, like, they couldn't print more money anymore. They just, they were in so much trouble. They were stealing so much money. It was so corrupt. They're like, okay, let's print out these things that people can pretty much use only at supermarkets and (laughs) figure some shit out for now. Yeah, it was was awesome. And it's right. not, yeah, it's crazy, you know, because it's not like there's no resources or, you know, land or anything. It, it's really a, it's a really a mind bender. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We have some of the biggest natural sweet water re- resources in the world, but they're owned by Americans now. So, so they're not really from Argentina anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me down that road. Okay. God, God bless the USA. <laughs> God bless America. Uh. So God bless America Her tomorrow ain't promised today The end of time is like an hour away Damn Hey, I'm almost time here So it's the world The world is becoming so um, Kind of like a Pangea in, a, in all of its good and all of its bad So that's why That's why moving to Bali makes sense for now It's, you know, a lot of digital nomads are able to do that now Kind of live or grow from a monetary economy in the states or wherever it's working and then live in a place that has lower living costs and it's such a yeah it's such a mind-bending situation and and all the ethical implications that come with that um but yeah it's an interesting time in history for sure so are you going to be doing digital art in bali yeah, so I'll be doing some digital art. I'll be doing the same that I'm doing now, mm-hmm. uh, basically painting commissions. You know, I have a couple to wrap up here at the studio and doing some digital art, doing some uh, advocating, you know, posts and podcasts and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of my work now is moving to Hong Kong and Tokyo and that area. So, I, I you know, I imagine it'll be nice to be closer mm-hmm. and I'll still be coming back to the States probably every six months or so, every four months. And your how is your brother younger or older than you? My brother's older. He works for Amazon. It's out, out there in Silicon Valley area. Oh wow! Okay. So you lived in the Amazon, and your brother works for Amazon. 
How weird is it's, that? Yeah, it's so weird. You can make some fun poetry out of this. At one point, my so my stepbrother was working for uh, Alexa, and I was working for Bixby, and my other brother was working for the other AI in the market. And so at one point, my family had you know one one person in each AI system being created, and it was so interesting. Like we couldn't really talk to each other. It was wow. It was <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm from uh, Seattle, so I I am always thinking about the effect of the Seattle industries on the rest of the world. That's kind of like a rainforest, <laughs> too, actually. Well, that's that's why I was wondering what jungle meant if, if uh, in Nanu's life, because there's the rainforest in you know uh, in, in Seattle and rainforest generally. And uh, when I met you, you were working at Rainforest Cafe. Man, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> no. <laughs> But it's a, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. It's certainly colder. <laughs> it's certainly what, does, what does jungle mean to you? Well, it's it's interesting. It definitely come things come to my to my mind, and uh, about the the humidity and the the nature and the wildness of of things and rainforest. Lots of rain. Everybody's trying to hide. <laughs> when I think of the, when I think of the jungle, I think of Queensbridge in the eighties. Sending this one out. I thought you were in crack shootouts until we finally cleared this all up. I'm glad that we had this talk. There's a war going on outside, no man is safe from. You could run, but you can't hide forever from these streets that we done took. You walkin' with your head down, scared to look You shook, cause ain't no such things as halfway crooks They never around when the beef cooks in my part of town It's similar to Vietnam Now we all grown up and old and be on yeah. the top control So it's, it'll be so, uh, so you travel by foot most of the time, you got a backpack And that's another yeah. thing that I think of Like backpacking, I backpacked in, in Europe, not a jungle But, <laughs> the train. you know, trains are kind of you know, precarious. It can't be. <laughs> you have some interesting characters on. <laughs> How long yeah. did you do that for? I did that off and on, but I, you know, it was a, it, I was a, a lot older than most of the people who did that, but I, I wasn't, I didn't do it while I was in college. I worked all through college, but when I had a little bit of money um, and just hung out in hostels and stuff like that, it was a, it was really, uh, it taught me about how to trust people on the fly. Yes, exactly, exactly. People are so much nicer and willing to be kind to you and genuine than we than we assume, I guess, or than it's whatever the fear ingrained, you know, by the media and by all the stuff. Yeah. Of course, we have to be careful, but it is incredible when you're traveling alone, especially how nice and honest people are. It was it was really uh, life changing experience for me because I, you know, being in the states, you know, you can't go beyond a certain. Uh, certain parts of the country without feeling maybe I shouldn't be here. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> and these are certain places that I shouldn't go, but traveling through Europe and it might've been just naivete on my part that I was like, I don't care. You know, just people I knew were sleeping in the, in the train stations and, um, there were people I were letting borrow things that I would never in life had let people borrow, uh, at home. <laughs> and I was like, wow, maybe I'm even nicer than, than I think I, <laughs> than I think I have so it was I uh, recommend I mean not everybody can do it you know uh, I learned to bring flip flops into the shower stuff like that mm-hmm. 
right. some ja- it sounds like some jailhouse tips. <laughs> <laughs> Thin line, huh? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but you can leave <laughs> the hostel. Yeah. Uh, that's what's up. Uh, do y'all have any tips? What's the tip for our aspiring backpackers out there, our blockchain backpackers? <laughs> for the blockchain backpackers, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I think what you said is true. You know, even even I'm nicer. That's I feel like backpacking this way rewires your brain. I, anytime that you have a new situation that you've never approached before, you just have this opportunity to create new connections and to to act in a completely different way than than you have been behaving. Kind of cuts through all the patterns effortlessly. So. Um, if you're trying to, like, if you're a backpack or if you're a person who's trying to cut through some habits or get a new perspective, backpacking, it's one of the most efficient ways to do it. You, you just drop somewhere, you have nothing, no systems, and you start from zero and you kind of discover who you really are in relationship to your to your surroundings and to people. Um, you know, number one advice would be to don't overthink it and just do it, like, buy a one, one-way ticket somewhere and um, start start the journey man <laughs> maybe right. learn some latin so you can read some of the signs if you don't understand the language i would that's that was one thing i was glad i i took some you know had some language background because it was very helpful in areas that if i didn't know the language and what I did was, you learn like solidity <laughs> yeah exactly you gotta learn some you gotta learn some solidity you gotta learn some linux there you go. <laughs> But language skills, man, if I could, uh, that was, that definitely was helpful. Um, That's really neat. That's what's up. I wish I learned some Basque languages. That's what I, I went to Basque region because I'd always been fascinated and I didn't know, I couldn't read any of that, but it was helpful to have some French. Y'all should, y'all should set up some kind of scavenger hunt with the, um, QR codes all over the world and, uh. So you know, I'm actually thinking about that. Yeah, I'm talking with a with another artist, and we're doing a collaboration, uh-huh. trying to do some more guerrilla style, more fun, interactive things like that. Yeah. So we're oh. thinking about some type of project like that. Also working on a transparency art project with some holograms. It's getting weird. I'm excited. It's getting really weird. Uh-huh. Well, there are probably a lot of digital nomads like yourself that could really really do something with with that it'd be kind of cool to follow you all's uh but not in a in a weird way follow what you all are doing speaking, speaking <laughs> of digital nomads the first uh ethereum blockchain meetup i went to in like 2016 um i met a guy and we were gonna develop something i don't know what was going, we were doing exactly but <laughs> yo the guy he's a digital nomad he he didn't <clears throat> yo he had the most fucked up shoes i've ever seen <laughs> They, were, they, the soles were like hanging off. They, like, it was crazy. Like, it was like his feet were sticking through, like cartoon style, and all this stuff. Like, nice guy. Like, yo, it was. Does that is that what it means I, to when be you a guys digital say nomad? Digital nomad. I think of this guy who like looked like he took like a shower once a week, and his feet were sticking through his shoes that he had probably since he was eight years old. Oh. You learn a lot about people. <laughs> there, I, there was this guy from uh, Austria that washed his clothes in the ocean, and that freaked me out. But he was like, "Well, if you leave, you know, the ocean's got salt in it, and go. it disinfects everything." And he just left stuff out on the, you know, on the uh, concrete and dried out. And I was like, "I had never in my life <laughs> thought probably I'd re- probably need really starchy." <laughs> It was bright, you know. <laughs> hey, use, use nature. I think uh, yep. Nanu probably has some tips about about uh, washing clothes in nature. 
it's so interesting the weird stuff you end up doing on the road. Yeah, seriously. You, you know, a lot of people think, or I guess I think sometimes when I'm about to travel again, I'm gonna miss this comfort or this type of appliances or whatever. You get so inventive on the road. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing. I remember living for about two months in a tent uh, up north of Mancora, Peru, and so I was living in this little um, in this little camping area that had water and showers and all this stuff but I was basically in a tent and in this tent I had a little mattress because I've been there for so long you know so I had a little mattress a coffee table and my djembe it was just like so minimal and I had everything I needed and every morning I would get up and with the sun you know and, and run into the ocean to wake up basically just being tumbled by this massive waves and one day I woke up it was really cloudy and I thought it was 7 or 8 a.m. or 6 or 7 a.m. but it was actually 11 and the tide was three times as high and I ran into the ocean to kind of do my my everyday thing and I got tumbled hardcore pulled into the ocean almost mm. died over oh, there, you know crazy <laughs> and so when I came out um you know I, I came out of there pretty scared ran back in to make sure that I was never terrified of the ocean forever kind of fix that and then uh, when I came back to the camping place we all decided that we needed a way to know for sure like some type of because we had no technology we had nothing at that point purposely you know so we we needed a way to know for sure what time it was and so even little things like that it's interesting to see how people just start getting together and spin ideas and and try to make either like a solar clock or or just you know even situations like that you just get so creative for the fun of it kind of you know for the survival but for the fun of it so i think being in that, in that situation where where you have nothing of the traditional of the traditional cultural items that we, you would use naturally puts you in such a creative expansive thinking mode so yeah it's 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 very fulfilling to live that way and i never thought i would come back and have you know an apartment and, or a laptop and a and live and manage a business from my phone but here we are <laughs> here we are the american corporate life <laughs> you right. I, um, was there any Lord of the Fly moments while you were uh, living this way? <laughs> I mean, for sure. There was, yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, I guess there were a lot of sketchy and weird moments. One of the, I usually, I took a lot of, uh, you know, I was hitching rides from trucks and from, trucks are, are great because you can get long distance, so you can hop a ride sometimes as eight hours instead of having to take a lot of short rides. Mm. Uh, one time I took a ride from a really sketchy person and I feel like my intuition is usually on point and I can I, this, So this was my system. I don't know if this works for you, but this is my system. I would I would stop a car and sh You know lower the the ventanilla like the the window and shake their hand and so with your two middle fingers you can put them on their wrist and you can check their pulse if they're and alive is it a zombie? Yeah. Not a zombie or a robot, because at this point you have no idea. Right. And then uh, look at them in the eyes and see if their pupils dilate or not when you ask them questions. And so Whoa. you can ask them, you know, their names and all this stuff. So it's like a lie detector. And so that worked for me in combination with my intuition for a long time. So I, I was doing that and I checked every person that I got in the, the car with. Sometimes I would say no, no, thank you. Um, but this one person had the car full of family and so he seemed like a family man and that's why I trusted and I got in the car but the kids weren't his and they got dropped off like a block after I got on and then I was stuck in this car with this crazy person who started speeding and took me yeah it was like a dirt road and took me to this like little barn that had like a metal door so this was the only time in my life that I pulled a knife on this person yes. and I had a pocket knife and I pulled this knife on him and I was like 
Listen, man, I am way smaller than you are, but I'm way crazier than you are. You need to let me out right now, you know? And so that was probably the, you know, one of those moments. Wow. Where Yeah, yeah, you look back, back, yeah, just yeah, able yeah, to be alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's one of those I feel alive moments. That's the ultimate high. Wow. <laughs> so you generally travel by your, on your own? Yeah, usually yeah. I, w- I would, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a liberating thing, too, because that was, uh, I went by myself, but that's why I stayed in hostels, too, mm-hmm. it's like. You know, you're forced to be with people, <laughs> and traveling by myself in a hotel might not have been good because nobody'd know if something had happened to me. But people, you know, if, if your friend, if people that you are staying with in a hostel, if you don't show up, people tend to put out somewhat of a search party to find you. For um, sure, sure. You know, but how how'd cool. you get into um, the blockchain space? Um, I heard about it in 2012 when I was in. Chichen, like I was around Mexico somewhere, and some hippies on a bus were talking about it and told me a little bit, but I didn't care about money or anything at that time or whatever, any type of technology. I didn't know that I cared about technology, then I come to find out I do. But uh, anyway, I heard about it and it was interesting. It seemed very idealistic. Then when I became a digital nomad, some of the remote writing gigs that I took from AngelList were were offering to pay me on in Bitcoin. And so I started receiving some payment for that, you know, a little bit here and there. And then as I was making art, like activist art about the governments and different ways of living, I realized that nomadic values are actually super similar to to the blockchain decentralization values, you know, redefinition of, of value, of opportunities, of um, decentralization of information. And so... It, it was crazy to realize how the parallel life that I've been living as a nomad outside of the system was existed within technology and, and that this technology could provide that structure and those and that in and the actual skills to decentralize the systems that I didn't like. So it was mind blowing for me to realize that I didn't need to be outside of the system completely, that I could actually adopt a new one that might be able to shift the current one. And that felt so empowering. So I started reading about it and just kind of like, you know, fell into the rabbit hole hardcore. And a year and a half later, I was pretty much making crypto art full time. So I was just obsessed with it, you know. So, what's, um, how many crypto art pieces have you um, sold and how do you uh, sell them? Like, can you give any artists like listening? Like a lot of artists I know always ask like how do I get in this space blah 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 and I try to show them a couple things but I don't it's not always uh, the greatest thing I think some of them don't show up <laughs> but do you have any tips for artists on how to like sell their works for crypto or how to make crypto art sure yeah and, and I think you guys do an awesome job I mean I'm, I love listening to the podcast and it has been so useful for me when I was starting to sell when I was starting to sell art um but kind of didn't, I had no idea how other people were doing it, if it was working or not. And, you know, a year and a half ago, I remember listening to some podcasts that really, really made me feel like there was something here. You know, there's, you were basically the, the most, the most concise and useful type of specific information for art in, on the blockchain that I, in, in community that I could have found. So 
I think you're doing a lot for for our artists just being able to put all the information together in one place and get all these people together. So I'm super grateful for you guys and uh, very very thankful to be on this podcast. I just wanted to say that. Um, Thanks. Appreciate that. That's big. Appreciate that. Um, I think you know there's some things I had resistance to before that are that I can see how they're very useful. There's there's awesome systems like Rare and a few other online platforms. You know, Data and I mean, there's so many now and so many that have come and go and gone, but it depends on what you're doing. If you're if you're a digital artist, then doing limited copies or limited prints online and building that scarcity is probably a great place to start. You know, it's pretty simple. You upload your file and you set your amount of prints that you want to have and the price and you can start start experimenting with that world. For me, doing merch like pants and shirts and stuff like that is a good way and receiving crypto you know you can pay for the shirts in crypto it's a good way to kind of self-advertise and then lead people also to buy in original pieces if they want um i probably so as far as numbers i have probably sold man that's hard to tell i don't know because so i live i started live painting at conferences yeah and not a lot of people were doing it and so the first painting that I, the first painting that I ever live painted at Token Fest, sold for like six grand on the spot because it was crypto was high and people were stoked and I was the only artist there and That's I made like, a time capsule. Yeah, it was what, awesome. What kind of currency was it? Um, I took ETH when it was super high. Did you? Can I ask? And you don't have to answer, but did you cash out or did you hold on to it? So, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and there's some con- controversy around this, so I'm glad you asked. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty high, and I had only hot wallets at the time, mm-hmm. and I had to pay rent and stuff, you know? So I went home and I said, well, I'm probably going to keep some in here, but I'm probably going to cash out some to pay for my living expenses. And mm-hmm. so I, I cashed out some and kept some. I've always been really lucky with intuition about this stuff, too, honestly. I've, I've always kind of made you know like i made money with eos i made money with even with ripple like cash that out as soon as i could and um but it's it's been really interesting to see to to have to use it for a living you know it'd be great to be able to keep it and just store it but the idea is that we can also use it in our everyday lives so that has been um but yeah i've I've sold a lot of pieces uh between the the prints and the shirts and all this stuff but i'm trying to make more more uh, hyper detailed pieces and produce less because at one point and this is this might be useful for other artists so at one point i thought that i wanted to make i wanted to paint for a living you know like i just wanted to create art pieces and sell them and that's how i wanted to make a living Mm. well in order to do that i usually have to sell two to four really dope art pieces you know very well priced art pieces a month but the type of art that I make is, is pretty detailed and so it takes me a, a long time to make each piece. And so I've been working like an insane person, like a lot of us in space, running the website and painting full time and doing my PR and coming on podcasts and stuff. And it's just not sustainable and it's very stressful and it takes away from the fun, creative part that I wanted. And so after realizing that, I'm thinking that I'm way more interested in advocating and doing workshops with people and teaching them how to retrieve their own creativity because I believe that creativity heals and that it's a very powerful tool to dissipate information and to make it digestible for people. And if everybody has a tool, we're all better off, you know, to express our own feelings, to express information. So 
I'm looking forward to doing more of, of the workshops that I have. You know, if you go to nanobergs.com slash magic, you can see the workshops there. And they're fun, man. I would love to do some with you sometime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So those are really awesome. Um, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's, we need more art edu- or education on blockchain and Bitcoin, etc. And period. But you're right. I mean, the arts is what helps advocate it to people outside of um, quote unquote nerd world. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you're talking about have, you know being a digital nomad and then doing all the traveling and backpacking. You know, it, it, there was a time when the EU didn't have a unified currency. You had to go to exchange your money in order to mm-hmm. pay for things, and so you're not doing anything with you know regarding to accepting a t- particular type of currency in order to pay your rent that didn't accept that particular kind of currency or payment mechanism. You people had to do that on a you know a regular basis, so they're that it, it is very it's interesting to think that should there be a difference between what this cryptocurrency is doing and what people did with with currency you go to an exchange you put in your dollars and you get pesos or whatever or you'd get euros or you do these kinds of or things or you get three donkeys well maybe they didn't have them on in stock but if they happen to have yeah, donkeys would, in stock, I would trade some of my shit coins for three donkeys right now. But it's but it should be you know people thinking about that versus a uni- the. But I was really fascinated with the universal currency notions with with Bitcoin. That was really what got me involved or interested in this. Is like, can I going from place to place to place in this particular currency? I could use it's, um, but. Not so much nowadays for just everyday type purchases, but still. You're right, though. I mean, that's the thing that people that people complain or like whatever. Where a lot of us are confused when we learn something new and all the stuff. We get to <clears throat> to to see all the roadblocks first. Like, how are we gonna? How is this practical and stuff? This stuff has been happening forever. Like like you said in Europe before the unified currency, you were already doing that. Um, and trade in way back when and you know trade economies and gift economies and just switching a glass of milk for a glass of water six eggs or whatever it's been happening since the beginning of time and now that we finally have the technology to make this to to trace it to track it to make it more fair to make it decentralized to empower people um i think it's a wonderful epic opportunity it's just we're going through the growing pains pains you know it's it's 10 years old it's i feel like in 10 more years we're gonna really see the fruits of this but right now it's like a a tantrum throwing child and on top of that all of us are kind of tantrum throwing child also growing with this technology you know like all excited and hyped about it and then depressed about it and you know it's crazy so i hope uh, we I'm, see i hope you, we see like you said the fruits of the labor and not the vegetables of the labor because <laughs> the vegetables could be the other side of the coin where it's uh, one currency everything tracked and you have no privacy at all. So that's the scary part about blockchain is people who get into the blockchain and don't realize what blockchain, you know, I say blockchain, but really what Bitcoin uh, was made for. Um, what do you think is going to happen? What's your hunch about it? Um, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I like, I, I love the uh, drama that unfolds every day in it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> You know, I'm captivated for sur- for sure, and uh, I don't know. I I, I I like it. You know, I I like the experiment. I like what we've been uh, all talking about and doing in the space the last few years. Uh, you know, um, I just I hope that you know, like I guess I, like 
rather than the XRP army, let's say, winning, I hope, like, the Bitcoin army wins. Um, oh, for In sure. terms of, like, you know, how this is all going, because, you know, a lot of people are just in this, you know, there are a lot of bro-vesters jump in and have opinions, and um, a lot of government is scared, and, you know, I just don't, I don't want to see this as, like, I want to see this as cash on the internet, not, um, not us handing over more of our rights. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited about the own your data movement. You know, that stuff feels very powerful to me. I got to make a, a birthday present for BK and then kind of I, I added own your data and stuff in there. And it became kind of the first piece, the first art piece of that movement. And now other people have been making pieces about that, too. And it's just been I feel like that's so important and and wild, you know, to be a part of this revolution. We're messing with some real stuff, encountering some some interesting forces. But um, I do feel hopeful. I feel like this by the time that, you know, I don't know if this is if this is sounds too crazy, but I feel like by the time that Bitcoin and other whatever system currencies are normalized, you know, in another 10 years. Yeah. And, and it's not a big deal, like how PayPal and Venmo are not a big deal now and everybody uses them or how, how we just gain trust on new systems, you know, yeah. that just become part of our everyday life. Um, we are also going to have a very different definition of what trade and trust and and all these things mean. And so I'm interested in seeing how beyond beyond the thinking of translating fiat and crypto into money or whatever what the bigger concept is going to be, you know, like what the bigger understanding of how we operate is going to be, because the whole idea of tokenize everything that I, I don't I don't agree with. The only thing that I like about that is that we all have assets and we all have things that we can use. And so if there's there's a sweet spot, I think, between uh, working for exposure, which I would love to talk about for for artistics mm. and then trade in a way that is fair, equal value, not fair, equal money or amount but value that is really interesting you know so like if i have a house and i'm trying to hire a nanny to take my kids and this person needs a house and some amount of money to survive or to put away or to pay their bills or whatever you you set up a smart contract about a fair equal exchange of value that is not necessarily fair in the assets count but that it makes sense for both people to live and to empower each other. And I think that that's going to be way more interesting when people are house swapping and car swapping and um, and just being able to live a, a more free life outside of the monetary, like exactly how many dollars you have or how much Bitcoin you have. Yeah. Right. Right. And that centralization certainly is a, is a problem. If you're willing to sell a painting that in other world would be worth $10,000, but you need water. Right. <laughs> Um, you should be there shouldn't be any problem with with that there shouldn't be somebody making a determination well the person who gave you the water you know obviously they were getting a lot more than the than the cost of that water well that shouldn't be the measurement it should be whether the parties who are entering into the agreement agree that it is you don't uh, want me to regulate your (laughs) trade you mean (laughs) nope i mean that's what i'd like to see people have spoken (laughs) <laughs> That's what I, I. I mean, that was how things things were done. It was right, all about you know. So I was. Right now, <laughs> yeah. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, we're still paying. We're paying what? Like you know, we're paying two dollars or something for a Coca Cola, and then water 
it's, it's just insane to me that Coca-Cola is taking water from the rivers and putting sugar in it and then selling it cheaper it, it's in I, in our water. I wish they were putting sugar in it. They're putting the corn syrup in it. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're in Mexico, in Mexico, I guess. Yeah. Shout out to Mexico. Damn, no. cooks. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but yeah. There you did, as, on a side note, did anybody see that corn syrup movie with Matt um, Damon? What was it called? I don't know. He was like okay. a kind of like a um, I forget what it was called, but it was about how they the corn syrup market happened in the '90s and how it overtook everything, and they dollar fixed everything, and the dude was like a megalomaniac. Uh, it was crazy. It's good. Movie. Wow, was it censored? That's why we can't. We don't know anything about it. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I didn't know as much about it. You watch until I, mean, I don't know how much it's true in the movies. Fucking movie. But. <laughs> Matt Damon convinced me that corn, the corn syrup guys were fucking wild, wild and out. They were like the penny stock guys for a little bit. Yeah, corn syrup is is not good for you. <laughs> no, surely not. Except in pecan pies. Really? <laughs> Nobody, everybody makes pecan pies with corn syrup. Oh man, I don't do that. They don't do that in the jungle. Did, you, did we see what? Did you see the documentary, The Price of Everything? Not yet. Mm-mm. Oh man, I yeah, I didn't know if I wanted to like go cry myself to sleep or go out and start. I don't know, continue the revolution probably start somewhere in the middle. rocks at J.P. Morgan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, uh, it was it was it was great. I it's nothing that you don't know, but I highly recommend watching it. Um, and and yeah, we'd love to we'd love to hear what you what you have to say and how you feel about artists working for exposure oh, because man. I've been feeling I'm at the end of that I think understanding that a little bit and yeah and I just want to want to see what you I have a lot of opinions on that where do we start <laughs> Jesus well that well that that I didn't I read about the the artist um in in the art newspaper so I hadn't and I didn't know um, I couldn't find any place here locally that was that was showing the uh, the movie, so I'm gonna have to investigate that. But just the idea of you know he was well known at the beginning. Of, I'm assuming this is the same thing, the same artist, where he was very well known at the beginning of his career for dots or something that he was doing, and then oh, yeah, yeah. and then over time, you know, people rejected him. His friends like rejected him because he stopped painting that style of dot painting. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of fell out of favor, and then now he's kind of being rediscovered, I'm sure, in, in part because of this movie. And he's like, this shouldn't be, you know, how I'm measured, The how is, how is work measured in, in this way? Mm. But he was kind of the, you know, get off my lawn kind of guy, at least it, that's how he, <laughs> he sounded in the article. But he made some really good good points about uh, determining value, and he, didn't he make some, he made some comment about museums... Um, are all about um, the the fads that they're trying to attract a- attention as whatever whatever's hot right now. Right. Instead of having, unless you know, unless you're you're dead. Um, and they were saying <laughs> that that basically private collectors have outbid museums, and so now a lot of the wonderful historic work is being hid somewhere in a London flat, mm-hmm. and then people don't have access to it anymore, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of great art pieces in uh, storage rooms around the world, too. 
it's kind of heartbreaking to hear them talk about the art as just some asset that you trade, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, we all know this, but just not even talk about the color of the painting, you know, it's just more like, yeah, I bought this for $8 million and now it's worth $50 million and it's just, it's so insane and I feel like there's such a great way to empower, to, to use that in an empowering way, like to trade assets for assets instead of putting up a, whatever price on it. I think like, I don't, like the art is... It's all about how it's marketed at the end of the day, unfortunately, like for the most part. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's who gets behind it. It's who, you know, it's it's a lot. It's not different than a lot of other things in terms of who's gets it out there, right? Who, who spreads the idea of this is worth this or this is great. And eh, I don't know. It's a complicated question. Yeah, because I know what I, I like. I don't like to read books to tell me to like something. You know, right. like, you should like this because, and they, you know, you have 200 pages of explaining why this plank of wood that's painted with yellow enamel is <laughs> something that you should pay attention to. It's like, I, people do that on a daily basis and they're not getting paid. <laughs> they don't get a museum piece. They don't get, get a museum. If you get the attention of you as the reader to read 200 pages about this yellow painted <laughs> wood, then you're now, uh, you've now spent time, which is money and value, and now you're entrenched in it. So now you, right. it's like a mind game. It's like, it's like whatever you can get people's attention and it just balls into a snowball, you know, until something comes out of it. Yeah. Because I, I, I agree. I, I like certain things that, that other people don't like but then i find myself also liking things in probably more than i would have because of marketing too you know yeah like you give me like a a piece of clothing like polo or something one with two horses and a guy and regular polo ralph lauren and i'm gonna pick the ralph lauren because you think the other one's a ripoff because the other one's a ripoff it's like obviously it's like you know it's like it's like bitcoin cash and bitcoin or something yeah (laughs) Well, this this experience certainly has started me thinking about why do I like certain pieces? Because if you're brought up in a in a Western culture, and even in Seattle, you know, you have an Eastern culture and Western culture that, and I, you look at art and you and that's what you recognize as being good because somebody paid for it, and you go to gallery shows and this is good because somebody held that. Am I overly influenced by something just because of something that I witnessed as a child? And that really, this this whole exercise has certainly uh, made me think more about: Do I th- actually think that it's good, or is it because I'm used to it that I, th- mm-hmm. you know, because I landscapes, um, landscapes and portraits seem to be you do one or the other if you're trying <laughs> to sell your work. Um, and anything you know outside of that seems to have very difficult time, uh, you know, making it. And even for myself, I love looking at landscapes. I like portraits because I like to see how the artists depict people's faces because people are interesting. Um, but I don't know if that's an influence from childhood or if that's true. For sure, if we're being conditioned conditioned to identify value in a specific way, it's so trippy. It's so trippy. I mean. That's why, um, that's why this whole uh, digital art experience is most interesting to me because as a artist that makes things in, in real life and had kind of had resistance to digital art for a little bit, even though I appreciate it and have always seen the value in it, I think that's one of the 
um, that's one of the ways in which we can we can use them to change people's minds because you can make you know we, you can make digital art for 800 hours and have it be as meticulous and time consuming or more than than physical art but you can also whip out art really quickly which sometimes you can't with with paint and so you can sketch something really quickly on an iPad or something and or on a <clears throat> on a tablet or something and create some really far out images and then test them I, I like to use social media and YouTube and all these things as a as a meter to test strangers interest kind of in my art mm. and so you know you because it, it's hard you have your friends and your family and people who support you that will tell you that everything you make it's it's pretty good or whatever and then you have other people that hate on you or, or whatever your you know the, the meter is but how do you get a, a an objective opinion from what you're actually creating and if it's hitting with people or not if it's making them feel something or not and so it's yeah i'm really excited about this technological age for that you know to bridge the gap between physical art and and art installation experiences and stuff which is what i'm probably the most into and and then how we actually redefine value how we see it yeah and and i had a gallery for a number of years and i thought i started thinking because uh, i would get grants based on you know i was able to use my social media as a basis for getting grants right uh-huh. Uh, but that had absolutely nothing to do with whether anybody bought the art, right? So just because you have a thousand people um, clicking, oh, I like this yeah. illustration, did not translate into a sale, right? right. So it was, it was really interesting to think about, to, to recognize that I could get grant money based on hits that had absolutely nothing to do with whether people came to the opening whether they bought any of the works, whether the artist ever saw any of these people. So there, to me, there's still a disconnect between what's happening in, in the social media realm because it's cheap. Somebody clicking like You can enjoy the nothing. art for free on social media. Right. It doesn't yeah. cost oh, it you so- anything to go anywhere. You don't have to go to a museum even. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? So it's different. Yeah. There's, there's some kind of uh, uh, fork in the road in our time right now where we're kind of, you know, something's, ha- something's going to change. You know? Did you blind- see the... Mm-hmm. Do you see the AI? Sorry, I think it's like it's glitching a little bit, so I hear like an echo. Do you hear? Do you hear my echo as well? Oh no! I hear like a like my voice comes through double or something. Um, so there's there's this social media influencer that's an AI that's computer generated completely and stuff, and it's like now be it's like a micro influencer selling product products and whatever. Have you have you seen that? It's a marketing company that put out basically a uh, yeah computer generated persona who's a who's an influencer and i'm hoping that yeah i saw that that, yeah did you yeah Yeah. i haven't used it but i've seen an article about it you're hoping what what happens man i'm hoping that the micro influencer market goes away completely and that that artists and people don't have to do social media anymore honestly i'm uh, i feel like we've seen this awesome opportunity with the micro influencer market and all that that has been cool and empowering to push your own content and whatever but now it's so corrupted there's so many robots it's so not roi translatable it's about that i'm hoping that it goes away yeah <laughs> yeah we're in a we're in a weird society where the jester is winning <laughs> like it's the age of the jester for real like the more clownish you are the more money you're gonna make. yeah that is the art i guess i don't know like, well the influencers are now being sued you know for having too much Sway over yeah. the population. So I of course that, you're going to generate guy, an AI. A guy who attacked Gildencoin, a cryptocurrency, um, attacked. I don't know what he said. I'm using the word attack, 
but it wrote something bad about Gildan coin, which is a cryptocurrency used, I think, in like Scotland or something. And uh, they're being sued, or you gotta cease and desist and about it. you can't say anything about the blockchain. Right. So we, everybody finds a workaround every time these things happen. They're like, you think that they're gonna go away? You haven't dealt with the core problem. <laughs> which is, which is advertising. Our, our kids are growing up on this. The next generation's coming up on this, etc. So um, I don't know. Like this might be what it is. Like if how do you filter though? But you have to get build on top of it. Like I always kind of say that things are being apped out from when I was in college or whatever. Like I went to school to build websites or something. All that stuff is like pre-built now. Like you don't even need to know the back end of that stuff. You can make it. Same thing with like music. You can easily make a beat in ten minutes. I think London on the beat, I think, even said that he doesn't ever give an artist a beat if it takes him more than 10 minutes to make. Like, as a musician, that's crazy. And he's a, you know, I think he's actually a talented guy. and He's a popular, uh, award-winning musician. Um, so I did, but that's the thing. Like, things are just apped out kind of now. And, like, so is our art and our music going to get apped out into the next thing? Is it things going to be built through our art and our music? Like, what does that look like? I don't know, like... It just seems like things are just being built on top of each other in this. Uh... We're we're educating the robots to take our place. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that should be. We're training them every day. <laughs> we're training them online. every day. Like, the AI art, the art, gen, the the GAN art, and all that stuff is pretty crazy. Like, I, I don't know how far they can take that because it looks pretty far out now. But I I got a feeling that we haven't even. There's going to be a book written about how we should appreciate it. Well, we haven't even probably started it. This is just people. There's like a hundred people doing that code, like making that code and doing it. It's like we're so early in that, and that shit looks crazy. Well, AI is not trying to please us as humans. It doesn't care about whether we find it aesthetically interesting, but we're we're being compelled to appreciate it somehow. You know, like some somehow or another, we're not I, I hit. do appreciate some of the AI shit, though. Like I, the, the art robots, itself, or the yeah, or the technology. The behind art it. that it does come. Some of it, whether it's super mathematically like symmetrical and on point, or whatever, or the stuff that's just crazy out there, like the GAN stuff, or you know, the robot dogs fighting each other is pretty awesome to watch. But I definitely can envision that in ten years it'd be two people, two two human dogs attacking me. <laughs> taking my money <laughs> but, but that's the that's what's interesting about AI because there was a, the New Art Academy there was a discussion one of the uh, professor at Rutgers talking about AI still needs to have humans you know involved and I think that that should be uh, brought out more is humans are selecting the art or the music or whatever that goes into the yeah, thing right. the, the, the training and I would really like to see like the uh like some of that, those pieces, I'd really like to know what was the art that went into the. What did you train that? I know that software that, that's interesting because I know that Robbie Barrett. Um, I remember seeing something on Twitter, and he's the guy that really got this popping, at least within the blockchain space too. Um, he had to use in his nude portraits. He claimed that he had to use white people to do it. So that's only using that to generate that. You know what I mean? So that is selective even based on like race and stuff. And there was a reason for it. He, he laid out um, but there, and at there's the same some, time that that's what it is. Yeah. There's some new um, I went to a thing back in November and they were talking about uh, voice recognition software is only recognizes uh, particular languages without certain accents. So there's mm-hmm. a machine learning 
software that's trying to train voice recognition for people with different accents. Because when you have an entire industry based on a particular maybe East Coast or you know, American accent in that way, then there's a whole, you know, the rest of the world doesn't speak that way. Right. So how do we develop or, or broaden the, uh, the tools if most of the world is not recognizing the voice recognition? Um, it's it's an interesting, there's lots of stuff going on. It's, we're going to eventually be one world whatever like not in our lifetime but it's gonna happen and then other colonies from around will be the other countries it's gonna be that interactive like that's just where we're going to like it started off small in the jungle where nanu was where <laughs> that was that community and then they expanded more and more and then nations met and then now computers are bringing it and we're gonna have robots kill off the humans and then they'll be friends with the martians elsewhere they'll be doing transcontinental universal voyages multiple yeah. universes at once yeah yeah all that so we won't probably be <laughs> so so star star trek is the future i don't know <laughs> I, that's the way i see it going it's pretty out there i guess but it's not really i hope that we get a time back i hope that we can use i hope that if you know if ais are painting and making music and all this stuff and automating some of our jobs so we can just get some of our time back and then see where human creativity can really go to because mm -hmm. if instead of resisting all this stuff you know like if a, if a machine can create some badass abstract paintings from me putting in some of my paintings or something and it can generate things that i can sell and that can give me automated income and then i can have the time to think about a project for four months without having to pay for my bills, then I would like to see what I could come up with that a computer might not be able to. But if we never trust, I know it's a delicate system but or a balance, but if we never trust robots to automate our life and, and if we don't try to in, include or accept, you know, that, that our purpose, I, I, I think at least, our purpose on Earth is not to work ourselves to death to pay our bills, you know, it's, it's like we, I hope that we can free our time and find a way to, um, to continue to push our own creativity things that machines can't do you know and i i have a because over time i i started out in that realm of thinking until i started knowing people who were mechanically inclined and people who like to work the earth and people who enjoy the physical uh, material world i don't think everybody should um, relinquish these physical interactions um, in order to supposedly think, because not everybody is going to be a philosopher. Um, so there's lots yeah. of, uh, you know, skills that people have as human beings that are tangible. Well, those people can use their hands to take our brains out and put it in the pods. The <laughs> so they'll still be needed. They'll just be the last one I mean, slaughtered. But I, I totally yeah. agree with that. I'm, I feel like I'm one of those people, too. You know, like I would... Yeah, and that's a really important point to make because I don't mean, you know, that all everything that can be done by a machine should be done by a machine. I believe that, you know, agriculture or I guess permaculture before agriculture was a, a pretty balanced time where, where we had small communities and everybody worked the land and stuff. And I feel like that's it's integral even to thinking just to be able to have those downtimes and busy kind of monotonous land works and stuff like that that kind of put you at ease. And so I agree with that completely. I feel like there's a balance somewhere and it is it is intimidating to think about you know but um yeah i think if we'd be in such a 
dystopian weird matrix if if we were just sitting around plugged into a computer thinking all day hopefully we don't hopefully we yeah. don't get there don't yeah there. sometimes you just don't even want to that's think some black mirror shit <laughs> yeah, so, sure. that was cutting cutting uh some you know rogue mint yesterday and it was just this whole you know zen th- i didn't have goats to eat it so i had to cut it myself <laughs> and uh you know, and it was just something that it was just, I could do that for a half an hour and I felt like I'd accomplished something. And I have a, I have a picture of the of the, <laughs> the mint-free zone. Yeah, yeah. Mowing your grass is like that. Go mow a lawn, everybody. Go feel go feel that nature in your backyard. <laughs> go take some shears to some of them plants back back there. Yeah, I'm telling you. Even if they're not yours. Even if they're not yours. Go shave a cat's back. Do something. <laughs> do something with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Because I like walk, you know, not too far from the Appalachian Trail, and so we see, you know, uh, the through hikers and stuff on 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 occasion, and that's another really, you know, it's fascinating talking to those those folks that go through that. But I think it seems to be you know, on occasion it can be dangerous, but um, but like we talked about earlier, danger makes you feel alive. That that's the best high. So when mm-hmm. when when <laughs> hitchhiking <laughs> earlier in our story and our adventure. And she had to pull a knife on somebody. She had to live. She had to. She had. That was living right there. Like you can't do that in a pod. An AI can't do that. No. And there are days, you know, you could go months and not have anything memorable. And knock on some wood. I don't want that yeah, to happen exactly. to me at you all today. Or any of us listening, any of our guests. <laughs> knock on so much wood right now. Nobody. You shouldn't have to feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you can't get a thrill out of you know planting a potato. You know, and you also have to, you have to up your high. <laughs> I took my kid. I took my kid out. Um, you know, I had to pull him off the damn Fortnite uh, the other day, and it was like because it was a nice day. I was like fifty degrees out and sunny, so I took him on a bike ride. We went bike riding like thirteen miles, and uh, my whole thing was telling. Him, I was like, "Yeah, you gotta enjoy. Na- you gotta get out. It's nature. Like, it's not. It's not being a robot." <laughs> I was trying to school him like. Yeah, please, kid. <laughs> but he'll remember that, even though he, right now he's probably fussing about the it. First, but... like five miles, he wasn't feeling it. He came <laughs> first five miles. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. <laughs> My dad would take us hiking. We'd go to this lake. It was freezing, freezing, freezing. And my dad would try to have some kind of fancy. He'd make these Belgian pancakes on the mm. fire. But we the the lake was frozen. It was it was so cold. But we probably did a number of, you know, these kind of hiking or yeah. these camping things that I don't remember because it was so mundane. We took out a fishing pole. But that, I will <laughs> always remember that frozen lake and we had to jump in that lake and then before we got our Belgian pancakes. Damn. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Pancake. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what do you think? What do you think about the whole VR for nature stuff, like the wild immersion stuff that shows you species in extinction or or like for example if you're a person who who doesn't have access to nature because lives in an inner city has to work every day all day and has the capability to project like a pretty realistic jungle into their house is that good or bad i think it's kind of cool i think it can be can be cool because i i uh there's this uh there's a couple places like mount athos women can't go there this Mm -hmm. uh place that has you know historically relevant 
um, illuminated manuscripts and things like that. And I'd love to be able to see it, even though I probably would never, even if it was available for me to go to. But it'd be, it's kind of cool to be able to see things that you would not have been allowed access physically. Mm, yeah. uh, so I'm, I think it's that's kind of cool. It's still just dangerous, though, in my opinion, too. It's good, but, you know, same thing, like the VR stuff, like the serotonin levels go through the roof. Like it's like yeah. addictive, you know, at the same time. Like, Right, so it's not just looking at art. There's other things you can see with Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you just got to be careful with everything, I guess. Because your, like, your brain no, doesn't know the difference. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you get overstimulation, and I mean, that's, that's a danger, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it? What do you think? For sure, yeah, I think it's, it's. Uh, I, I think about it in terms of therapeutic stuff, most, most useful, mm-hmm. like um, AIs to take care of, AIs or, or, or robots that are cyborgs that are more humane or whatever to to take care of, of elderly people and to be able to have somebody who's bedridden or something spend a couple hours of their day in nature and VR like those things I think are amazing yeah. Um, yeah. but I agree I mean I feel like hopefully hopefully we can all find a way to merge all the technological advances with some human, you know, back to human interaction and real life stuff. And I think that that's why all, all the meetups that happen around the world in person or the art installations I'm trying to do, like the intention portals and uh, these things are important because if we don't, we're, we're creating the culture, right? So if we don't create the part of the culture that puts emphasis in meeting up in real life and being out in nature and doing these things, then, then it is going to disappear. And so hopefully we, we can do a good job about that. Um, and continuing to, like you said, like be vigilant about the serotonin levels of the VR and have, it would be awesome if, if as, as we have the power to develop these systems, we could set timers on certain things, you know, that after 20 minutes or half an hour of being in VR, it kind of turns off purposely and it says, look around the room or go outside or something. And so it, it sounds idealistic, but um, I do see a lot of people in that space that are being mindful of, of developing these these new technologies in a way that don't completely completely remove us from our present moment, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, they made the hot tub at some time and people got out of the hot tub after 15 or 20 minutes. So it's made it like Turn that. It off. Yeah. I'd be in a hot tub all the time if I could. But <laughs> exactly. I'm not, so I've broken that addiction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and one thing I think is going to, because we were talking about what are th- things that are going to be different next year, and I think the... Uh, one of the things is going to be the we're we're super super optimistic starting out really optimistic and then not there's there are dual sides of everything all these technologies have dual, dual good and bad purposes and all of it depends on your perspective of whether something's good or bad and i'm i'm hoping that the recognition that these are dual that there are um you know yeah you should trust the math but you do you trust the mathematician uh, is, who defines the good and bad? Right, and that's the that's you the know? dilemmas. Who are we and willing to entrust our lives to? Once you start setting precedent on blocking certain things too, then you have to start blocking everything too. That's another problem. Yep. I don't yeah. know. It's all complicated. If we're not better, the tech won't matter. You know, just yeah. for real. I try to tell that to myself all the time because I do think that at the root of anything we're creating, we're evolving as humanity. So checking each other's ethos and trust and transparency and all that like i'm pretty focused on that right now um working with some some companies that are developing systems to hold each other accountable and to give trust back to our communities because 
that's that's really what's important exactly like if you don't know who to trust if there's cgi and fake news everywhere and we can really just you know figure out what real information is or real intentions are then it gets really muddy so um but yeah it's, it's an interesting point for sure i think yeah the the the, the deep fakes and all that stuff going on too is just getting started like it's gonna be really hard to trust things digitally in the future even as we move into the digital realm, like like you're saying, there has to be some kind of trusting, um, some kind of trusted oracles and stuff. And I don't know, maybe that's a reason to have faith in the physical world is because you could, you yeah, could you, if you fall, you hit your head. Yeah, like there's, <laughs> there's consequences in real life. Uh, you can go punch somebody in the face or somebody, you know, you can do stuff like <laughs> sue them and they can. <laughs> Or they'll just be communities where interaction with real world. <laughs> that's where the that's where the yeah. trend is. It's like you want to have a real world experience. You can actually have blood like Fight Club. Like that. Well, that's like what's that HBO show where they live in a little pet petri dish and the humans go visit it, but then the robots escape to the real world. What is the show? Oh, I forget. It's some HBO show, dystopian thing. Huh. Yeah, but we're, you know, but I hope the, uh, I'm hopeful that whereas where it started out in my youth, I was like, I want the machines to win. I'm more of the, I want the humans to win at this, at this stage of my, in, uh, my life. They're like, mm, you know, I have to be able to trust the humans that they're going to do the right thing. Because uh, if the, if the computers are programmed to do wrong things based on a human, we, uh, we're still in a bad place. But are we just sounding like old people? Like, that's what I'm worried about. Like, if I was a kid, I'd be listening to us and be like, yeah, these fucking old people, like, they, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, we're the ones doing this shit now. Get away. So, like, that's the problem I have. I have to think from both sides. Like, are we just, is there a way or are we just hating? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm trying to be on both sides of the fence on this. Uh, well, I trusted, you know, when you're in college, you trust the... You, you're around people who are like you and when you're in school you see so much about how people who are like you and then like for instance going on the the backpacking you're around people who are like you you have so many things that are more in common than not and then you go out into the world and you find out that's not really that's not necessarily how it is but I'm a lot more optimistic than I was in college <laughs> in many ways because uh, I was you know I was definitely to let the machines take over because the, the old people <laughs> just ruined everything See, exactly like now, look it's just old people ruined everything i'm like oh no it's like when the kip, the hippies became yuppies in the 80s and stuff oh like, yeah it's, it's like i don't know but like, then uh, i trusted my i trusted my peers you know so it's kind of like i trusted my peers i didn't i didn't trust the computer more than my peers so i still still uh, so i'm actually it's kind of back to uh my younger days and feeling about people is uh you can trust your peers um, you know, but pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, that's an interesting point for sure. That you know, are we being? Where's the idealistic point? And because I think about that too. Am I? I went through that phase too, where I was kind of super resistant to tech, and then super optimistic and idealistic about it. And now I'm at, at the at the point where I I'm a little concerned about people's greed and intention and it's like we all we can all catch the ego like a virus you know we can all catch the greed like a virus or or whatever we are going through can really you know fear and scarcity can really influence our decisions and if we're shaping a society that's 
developing the technology from that point of fear and scarcity and greed, then we're really going to be screwed, you know. But um, if we can, if we can all kind of keep each other accountable about about being conscious of where we're sending this and why, like you know how how all cryptos kind of collapse pretty quickly based on excessive greed and all this stuff, and then now the technology is starting to resurface where the real dream of Bitcoin possibilities and just blockchain in general possibilities is starting to come out and um, it's it's definitely an interesting point but I wonder that too I mean who knows you know who knows where we're heading into it's it's cool to see both sides of it and, and I think that people are more aware now I think the crazy bubbles that happened and um, the insanity that the blockchain society brought upon us like w when it was really high it's 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 a good magnifying glass you know it's like a good window into seeing how things could go i mean the extremes are good like the pendulum swim so the super optimistic and the super down waves are, are really great measuring points for us i think yeah it's interesting i guess that's why we're all in the space yeah but you have to have a good core you know you you have to know yourself i think is really uh, gives you an ability to withstand all this. If you know yourself, then you can withstand all these changes. If mm -hmm. you're if you're unsure, you kind of go with the wind. Yeah, you're like a wise Pachamama person. Do you know this? <laughs> People told you this before. <laughs> like the wise oracle that lives in the mountain. <laughs> She's from Seattle. That's why. It's all that water and mountains all that rain. <laughs> and rain. Yeah. It's all rain. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we gotta start wrapping it up here in a, in a jiff here. One o'clock. Um, yeah. Well, I want So, what's next? What's ne before we get out of here? What's yeah. uh, the next? What can we expect from Miss Burks uh, in 2019? <laughs> 2019. Um, I'm pretty stoked about Pix EOS. I'm starting to look into that project. Uh, combines a lot of the interesting pixel play projects out there and the community is super strong the group is super strong so i'm having some calls with them and and you know they they do a really good effort in bringing real life art and experiences merging them with computer games and with com online community with social community in real life so i'm super excited for that well, that was our um, uh, that was our top part of our top five news today Mm -hmm. Oh really? Yeah. I, I mean, it's amazing. The group, the whole community there already is so incredible, and that's a really great point on people that really check their ethos and their intentions and why they want to do the things they want to do. So mm -hmm. I really respect that, and I think I'm focusing a lot on that after being in and around this this uh, blockchain world for a little bit. So working on transparency and trust. You know, I'm working on a nonprofit we're creating called uh, T for Trust, and it's a, a glass. The, the, the it's a glass and paybook.com if you want to learn more about it you can go there but basically just put an emphasis on keeping each other accountable and um and, and trusting you know proof of trust in humans and so that's really important as well and i think my art is gonna reflect a lot of that just the next wave of blockchain and what we can do with this technology going back to the roots of why it's important hoping that that a lot of people get access to this information turning it more into an educational experience and just i feel like i've realized after a while that even though I'm human and I can get caught up in the, the fun, crazy excitement, you know, all the ups, highs and lows of this culture, I really do feel like I have a responsibility. Like I have been giving a voice of some sort, no matter how, how small, you know, or, or big, we all have an audience. And I think it's really important to, to see what our intentions are and how we want to, how, how we want to contribute to 
our audiences and to our communities. And so I know I sound like an old person and like whatever, <laughs> like a hippie old person, but it's but it's true, man. I've been feeling like things we do really have an impact in our surroundings. And so I, I takes that's what I'm really takes hit of peyote. <laughs> things really have an impact, man. <laughs> Just like man. Just high on life. <laughs> That's what's up. But you guys, you guys get it. Y'all are really yeah. good people, and like I said, it was great meeting you in person. And I feel like you do you do your part in this so well with this back, podcast. Back so. at you, man. I appreciate it and everything you do for the space as well. Um. Well, next time we'll talk to you. We're, well, we're looking forward to seeing. Uh, so, are you going to be completely disengaged or dis disconnected with uh, being in Bali? Or are you going to? be posting no and- i'll be super present yeah okay. i mean it'll be the same honestly i'll i'll slow down a little bit like i'll make less commissions per year and just focus on on you know working slower for my health sake and then but i'll be online i'll be running nanuworks.com i'll be um yeah i'll be doing the same things i'm doing now just trying to find a little balance slowing down a little bit cool sweet all right looking forward to keeping track of you Yo, same, same. Thank you so much, guys. It's been really fun. All right. right, We'll talk to you soon. Later. Have fun. Good talk. I am New Burks. That's uh, New Burks on Twitter, I think. Yep. She Um, is very present. Yeah, yeah. She has a cool story. She has a cool uh, medium story, too. You can check out. She wrote about uh, her... Her journey up until this point, how she got here, too, was on her Twitter Medium page. Um, but yeah. Wanna, should we do the uh, little thank yous for the folks we talked to this year? Yes. Or last year? Let's give a shout out to 2018. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Started out with uh, Art Gnome, episode 9. Oh, shit. Uh, Crypto Graffiti. Art Gnome, Jason Bailey. Jason Bailey. Um, Crypto Graffiti, episode 10. Oh, yeah. That was uh, part of our top 10 news with the Black Swan. Yep. Jessica Angel. Shout out to Jessica. She came in the came in the studio. That's episode 11. She had a good interview. Yep. Uh, Tatiana Morose. That's episode 12. Tatiana, the first uh, musician with a t- art to- or music token, I believe. Uh, Brian Hoffman and Dan Anderson, episode 13. That was a good one. It's it's it just seems you know somebody was commenting that one you know one month in in crypto is like a year in real life and this is exactly that like how a long time ago yeah, Brian really and uh, Dan Dan from Bitcoins and Brian from Open Bazaar uh, Jess Hograves episode fourteen yeah what's she doing now she's still doing the Codex she's she still doing, doing the Codex okay. thing she's very heavily involved with uh, Shios and I've seen the Shios tweet uh, just generally with EOS so that's that's a that's a whole other um, area of discussion but she's she's branched they're using the Codex as a platform at least in my opinion using it as a platform to venture off into other other areas and uh, expanding her experience and expertise um, for episode 15 we had Rare Art Labs and James Wall of Video. Yeah, that's that a good was one. that was fun. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. That was when we got into later on in the conversation the multi dimension. Yeah. him and Trevor. Trevor from Video was on as well. And, uh, it was a logistical issue because we had all the all these calls in. Yeah, that was a five. We had six. What was it, six of us on at once. Yep. Um, then we started the ethereal coverage. 
Uh, so that was started with episode 16. How many interviews did we do on episode 16? Episode 16, let's see, one, two, uh, probably about about 14 we talked about during episode 16 mm-hmm. because we... Um, 14 or so people uh, yeah. or entities we, we chatted with over there. Ethereal, shout out we to... Total, totally, we, total, we had 17 interviews okay. during Ethereal. It's just that... Yeah, that was 14 we had. Shout out to <laughs> Consensus and Will King and those guys for helping out. And Ruth from Further Field especially. Yep. So episode 17, we had uh, Ruth and Sam. Sam Hart. Mm-hmm. Sam Hart on episode uh, 17. Episode 18, uh, we had Marcus Dowling and Matt Hall. Matt of CryptoPunks and Tune Music. That was fun because it was uh, all music all the whole time, I think. We just talked about <laughs> yes. music. and uh, Then episode ni- uh, 19, we had Judy and Bea, who were part of the Ethereal that was a good convo. It was a convo with about Dada dot NYC. Yeah. Visual um, social media thing. We for uh, episode twenty we had um, Rob Myers. Rob, the crypto art intellect. Yeah, he's every time he posts something, it's like, wow, you were you were there for you've been doing this for a long time, one way, shape, or form. So Rob's a legend. He's a really a, an amazing resource. Um. DJ Blau, that's episode 20. Yeah, that uh, was an interesting episode. I don't know what's up with the, um, their, their whole thing on my festival. Have you heard anything about it? No, not so much uh, activity anymore on the Telegram, so I'm not sure um, what's happening. I haven't seen any any press releases on future similar festivals, but it was cool to talk to him. Um, Mac Flavel of Crypto Kitties, that's episode 21. Yep. Crypto Kitty's still uh, doing their thing. Uh, let's see. Maybe that's episode 22. Christian Moss. Yep, Christian's doing a lot of stuff with Lightning. Um, Seeing he just got some new Saratobi thing going on. Um, always keeping up to date with Christian Moss and stuff. Coin Artist, episode she, 24. She's been killing it lately, and uh, she's she's taken on the XRP army very yeah, <laughs> half her tweets seem to be about how bad <laughs> the XRP Ripple community is. Yeah, um, super rare. Twenty-five episode twenty-five. John squared. <laughs> Jonathan and John. I'm super rare. That's awesome. good episode. I like those guys. And episode twenty-six with Naturel. The legendary Naturel. That was a good one too. So we had a really ran the gamut of. That was all in 2018. Yeah. And we did a bunch of conferences and paid, we wrote some articles. Wrote we did articles. a lot of shit this past year. We had a workshop, three it's three workshops, session art workshop. Education things. So, uh, yeah, t- 2018 was certainly a reflection of everything going on in, in the community. <laughs> With what? Yeah, it was what, fun. It was interesting. A lot of, uh, man, you think back how what was going on in 2018, January to now, it's a lot, um, a lot different. Yeah. For sure. A lot more going on. Yep. Everybody's trying to strike it rich, man. <laughs> now everybody just needs to take a breath. Did you see that crypto kitty sell for $170,000, bruh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you gotta do is make this art piece and this token, man, and market it, man. Get some people on Upwork to go and shill it for us and make some anonymous Telegram accounts. Man, everybody got it, man. We can money launder it. We can do everything. With this I got token. a kitty right here. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but thanks so much for everybody yeah, who uh, talked to us. That was it was pretty pretty astounding. Uh, and when looking back at it, you know, you just go episode to episode, and it's just like part of the you know routine. But it was really stunning what was uh, what we were able to accomplish and learn last year. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, we like to joke around a lot, and uh, you know, so. Hopefully you're laughing with us and not at us. Yeah, even if you're <laughs> laughing at us, uh, at least throw some tasty pie our way. Not some of that old Safeway pie. At least, use some brown grade A organic <laughs> eggs in that pie, player. Exactly. All right. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Let's get it. 2019. Woohoo! All right. Bye bye.